who have not been led to worship our great God this morning, I dare say that uh, you need to listen closely this morning, because I would say that your heart is not in the right place. Uh, We have a God who is worthy of worship. Thank you, Lori and the choir, and leading us in worshiping such an incredible God, such an incredible Savior. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we come to this time in our service where we open up your word, Father, and study it. Father, as we read it, as we meditate on it, as we think about it, Father, and as we seek to understand um, what it meant and what it means and how it applies to our lives, Father, we ask that you would give us teachable spirits, Father, that we could take in what you desire to teach us, that we would be convicted of what we need to be convicted of, Father, that we would be led to be obedient in areas where we need to be obedient, and Father, that you would receive the glory, Father, because we know it's only you who can work your truths into our hearts and lives. Father, so we worship you even now through the opening of your word and its preaching. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 through 14 is where we will be today. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 through 14. As you're turning there, I want to take you back a little little ways into history. Um, now, before I say this, um, I know that we're in the middle of March Madness in uh, basketball, but seeing as how probably everybody that cares anything about its brackets have completely been blown to smithereens, I'm moving on to baseball. And so, uh, 1920, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I really don't know what I'm talking about either. I just get sucked into it. So, <laughs> anyways, 1920, that's the year, 1920 guy by the name of Harry Frazee. He's the owner of a team, baseball team, known as the Boston Red Sox. And he needed some money. He needed some money to pay for his girlfriend's Broadway musical. And so um, he had a player that he thought was expendable, and he sold that player for $125,000 to the New York Yankees so he could get some money for his girlfriend. That player was George Herman Ruth, also known as Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth. He sold him. And uh, what happened from that year of 1920 on for the next, about a little over 80 years, became known as, you know what it is? The Curse of the Bambino. The Curse of the Bambino. See, what happened beginning in 1920 is the Boston Red Sox stopped winning World Series. They had won several up till that point, but for the next 80-plus years, they did not win a World Series title. To make matters worse, during that same time period, the New York Yankees, who got the great Bambino, won 26 World Series titles in that same time period. Finally, finally, what was known as the Curse of the Bambino was lifted in 2004 when the Boston Red Sox defeated none other than the New York Yankees for the American League Championship and went on to win the World Series. And since then, they've won two more 
uh, two more World Series titles. The curse was finally broken. But did you know that there's another curse? And it's a real curse. I don't know, maybe that one was a real curse. I don't know. Well, maybe it's just superstition. But there is a real curse. And every single person who's ever walked the face of this earth has been impacted by this curse. And I mean it. Every single person has been impacted by this curse. Now, as Paul's writing to the churches in Galatia, we know that false teachers have come in and they're saying that they need to add good works, obedience to the law, to their faith in order to really be saved. But just like our children saying this morning, Paul is writing to them that no, that is wrong. We are saved by grace through faith alone. We don't add good works to the faith in order to be saved. If you remember back to last week, if you want to look back to the previous passage, we ended with this blessing of Abraham coming to all who have faith. Now, if there's a blessing, we would say, why is it good news? In verse number eight, we saw that it's called the gospel. Gospel means good news. Why is this good news? Why is this blessing that we can receive through faith good news? Well, it's good news because there is bad news. The thing that makes the blessing so good is that we are under a curse. And how is it that we could be recipients of God's blessing if we are under a curse? Well, Paul then in verse 10 through 14 unfolds for the churches of Galatia and unfolds for us today the fact that we are under a curse. But the good news of the gospel is that this curse has been broken through works of the law we are cursed but through faith in jesus who was cursed on our behalf we are redeemed from the curse let's read verses 10 through 14 for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse for it is written cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them now it is evident that no one is justified before god by the law for the righteous shall live by faith But the law is not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Four truths, gospel truths, that I want to share with you this morning about gospel redemption that centers around this kind of crazy phrase, cursed for the cursed. That is what gospel redemption is. The first truth we see is this. We are cursed if we rely on the law. We are cursed if we rely on the law. Notice verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law, or perhaps your translation says something like, for all who are of works. That is all who are basing their life, basing their salvation on works of the law are under a curse. Now we could stop right there. Paul could have stopped right there and we would have enough. We would have enough to be able to make this claim, make this statement. If we are relying on works of the law, we're under a curse. Because that's what God's word says. 
If you rely on works of the law, you are under a curse. But Paul, he gives some scriptural support for that. Now remember, remember when Paul quotes scripture, he's quoting the Old Testament because the New Testament was in the process of being written as he writes the book to the the letter to the Galatians. So he's going to quote several Old Testament passages to support this truth that all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. First one is this, for it is written in, in verse number 10, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Paul takes us back to the book of Deuteronomy. There in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28, we have a passage that's known as the blessings and the curses. The blessings and the curses. The, the children of Israel had, had been redeemed out of slavery in Egypt. And they had wandered around the wilderness. And they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And God sets before them a list of blessings and a list of curses. And if they will be obedient to the law, they will be obedient to what God has said, then they will be blessed. But if not, they will be cursed. Quotes from verse 26 of chapter 27 in Deuteronomy. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And then I'm going to go over one more chapter in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 14. He says, if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today to the right hand or to the left, then they will be blessed. You see, here's where the law fails us. We are cursed if we rely on the law because of the standard. The standard is perfection. It doesn't say cursed be everyone who does not do some of the things written in the book of the law and do them. We could all say that maybe we've done one or two things right. We've done one or two things that honor the Lord. Maybe we could say that apart from Christ. Probably not because we probably did them from the wrong attitude or the wrong motivation. But let's just say we could at least do some things right. We would still fall short of the standard. It says in Galatians chapter 3 verse 10, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Perfect obedience is the standard. It is the standard. And because God is holy righteous, perfect, whatever word you want to use there, because he is those things, then he must punish everyone that falls short of his standard. God's standard is complete perfection because he's perfect. That's why his standard is perfection. It's a reflection of him. His law is a reflection of who he is. And so he can only accept perfection into his presence and everything else must be punished god must punish all who fall short of that standard well what is this punishment that we would receive what's the what was the punishment for israel well he lists all sorts of things back in deuteronomy that would happen to them the crops wouldn't grow the enemies would come in and overtake them all sorts of things diseases and 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 pestilences and all, all these things would come in but but if you want to really summarize the punishment, it is that God would remove his presence from them. See, that is the greatest punishment, for God to remove his presence from us. 
There's one word to describe that. Death. See, God is life. He is the author of life. And so to truly be alive, I don't just simply mean breathing oxygen, but to truly be alive in the way that God created us to be alive means to dwell in perfect harmony with our Creator. To to have a perfect relationship with the God of this universe. That's what it truly means to be alive. The flip side, to truly be dead, to, to experience death, is to be separated from God. And this curse really didn't start in Deuteronomy, even though that's what Paul goes back to in quotes. Really, it started in the Garden of Eden. Because even though the Ten Commandments and the whole Jewish law hadn't been given yet in the Garden of Eden, there was one law, there was one rule, right? Don't eat of the tree. And Adam and Eve ate of the tree. They broke God's law. And what was the result of that? They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They were removed from that perfect, harmonious relationship with their creator. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The worst thing for us is to be separated from God, our creator. But that is what we deserve because we fall short of God's standard. I mean, God requires a hundred. And even if we say, well, I've made a ninety-nine... We fell short of the standard. And therefore, we deserve punishment. Punishment, really, as we think about it, the worst thing for us would be to be removed from God's presence forever. We are cursed if we rely on the law. But then in verses 11 and 12, Paul kind of gives some more support for this claim. And this leads us to our second truth. The law cannot set us free from the curse. We're cursed if we rely on the law, but the law cannot set us free from the curse. You see, the Galatians were listening to these false teachers. The Galatians, we know from the first part of chapter 3, Paul had already been there and preached Christ crucified to them and said, Listen, your good works can't save you. You can only be saved by grace through faith. They had repented of their sins. They had trusted in Christ. And then the false teachers come back in and say, Well, you need to start relying on the law again. And Paul's saying, But the law cannot rescue you from the curse. It is incapable, uncapable. There goes my English again. I'm not good at English. I hope you all probably figure that out by now. I'm not great at it. So wherever the word is, it can't do what we ask it to do so often. It cannot free us from the curse. Notice he gives two two quotations from the Old Testament. He references um, Habakkuk. And then he references Leviticus in verses 11 and 12. So he said, All rely on works of law are under curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law and do them. Now he's going to give some more support for that claim. Verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So the first reason we can know that we cannot have life, we cannot be redeemed from the curse by the law, is because God has already said the way that we have life is through faith. He's already said and given the way that we could have life. It's through faith. He quotes the book of Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by faith. This word live, we're going to see it again in verse 12. Think about it in a salvation sense. Not just live each day by faith, but shall have life by faith. Shall truly live. Shall have a right relationship with God, truly live. 
How? By faith. See, a works-based salvation is a denial of God's plan of salvation. God's plan of salvation has always been through faith. That's why Paul goes back and quotes the prophet Habakkuk. It's always been through faith. And so if we say, if anyone says, I can earn my salvation, then they are denying God's way of salvation, which is rebellion against God. There's no way you could be saved if you're rebelling against God in your belief of how you attain salvation. And so verse 11, God provides life through faith. Therefore, life doesn't come from obedience to the law. But if that wasn't evidence enough, he quotes again from the Old Testament in verse 12, but the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. That, that but is a very strong word. You could, you could translate it, on the contrary, Paul says. He says the righteous shall live by faith, but on the contrary, in direct opposition to that, the law is not of faith. The law is not of faith, rather... He quotes Leviticus, the one who does them shall live by them. So God provides life through faith. But then in verse 12, we see that the law provides life through doing. He who does them shall live by them. Again, have life. Be in a right relationship with God. Now, if you're really thinking about this, it sounds like Paul is saying two opposite things. He says the righteous shall have life through faith. And the law is not a faith. And you can have life if you do the law. But Paul, I thought you just said that the only way we can have life is through faith and not through the law. God's word is not contradicting itself. Think about it. There actually is. You got to don't don't. Don't go to sleep in the middle of me saying this because you're going to walk out and you're going to be really confused, okay? So pay close attention. You could actually have life. Again, thinking about salvation, eternal life, uh, relationship with God. You could have life through the law. It's what, it's what the Bible just said. He, he quoted Leviticus. The one who does them, that's talking about the works of the law, shall live, shall have life by them. So, if you want to have life by, by the law, here's what you got to do. You got to do it. You got to do the law. And go back to verse 10, you got to do it perfectly. So if you want to have a relationship with God without believing in Jesus, here's how you do it. Be perfect. You can't do it. See, that's the problem. We could have life by the law if we could be perfect, but none of us can. And therefore, go back to the Habakkuk verse in verse 11, the righteous shall live, have life by faith. You could have life by the law if you did the law. You see, it's the difference between the doing versus the believing. If you could do the law perfectly, you could have life by it. But we can't do the law perfectly. Therefore, the only way to have life is through faith. And the false teachers were coming in and they were saying, do, 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 and then you'll have life. And Paul's saying, no, have faith, believe, and then you will have life. It lines right up with the Old Testament, with God's word. You see, a works-based salvation 
is a denial not only of God's plan of salvation, we saw in verse 11, but in verse 12, a works-based salvation is a denial of the reality of sin. You see, if anyone thinks that he or she could earn salvation, earn acceptance into God's presence based on good works, what you're really doing is denying the reality of sin in your life. So that's what you're doing. If I say, well, I can, I can earn my way to God, I'm denying the reality of sin. Or at least I am minimizing the consequences of it. Maybe I'm willing to admit, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I don't really think that that sin is enough to separate me from God forever. Well, I have news for you. It is. My sin is enough. One sin is enough to separate me from a holy God forever because that is falling short of his standard. So we don't want to deny God's plan of salvation. It's always been by faith because he knows we can't keep the law. And we don't want to deny the reality of our sin by trusting in our good works. Our sin separates us from God. We're cursed under the law. The law cannot set us free from this curse. Now, that's the bad news. That's the bad news. And that's everybody. All of us are born under the curse of the law because we cannot keep it perfectly. We inherit a sin nature from Adam. No one keeps it perfectly. So we're all under that curse as we come into this world. But there is good news. There is good, there's gospel news. There is blessing. Here's what I want us to do. Verse 11 and 12 are kind of a support for verse 10. So I'm going to read verse 10 and then skip to verse 13, okay? Not because 11 and 12 are important. We just spent several minutes talking about them. But verse 13 is really the response to verse 10, okay? So I'm going to read verse 10 again so we get the bad news and then jump right into verse 13. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is the gospel. This is the good news of salvation. And it centers on the redemption that is found in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. This word redeem is an incredible word. We see it all throughout scripture. Paul uses it two times here in the letter to the Galatians. To redeem literally means to be set free by the payment of a price. The root word in the Greek for this word redeem is the word marketplace. It's the word marketplace. You know what happened in the marketplaces in Paul's day and time? Slaves were sold. And when you sold a slave, it was that slave, he or she was sold for a particular price. So if you wanted to set that slave free, you could pay the proper price and then set that slave free. And it would be said that you had paid the redemption price. We are under a curse. We are enslaved to our sin. But Christ has paid the redemption price. He paid the price. 
He alone paid it. And, and Paul goes back again to the Old Testament to prove how Jesus paid the price. We are cursed. God must punish sin. Sin must be punished. So the only way, the only way that Jesus could redeem us from the curse is if he was cursed in our place. Someone has to be cursed. Someone has to be punished. And Jesus chose to take the curse for us. Now, he was cursed in a different way. You and I are under a curse because we sin. We sin. But remember what I said at the very beginning? The curse has impacted everyone. Not everyone has sinned. Jesus was perfect, but he was impacted by the curse because he came and took the punishment for our sins. As he hung on the cross, I think he could feel the impact of the curse. You see, in the Old Testament, back to the book of Deuteronomy, if someone had committed a crime that was that the, the, the just punishment was death, it was capital punishment, and that person was put to death by whatever means was appropriate, then often they would take that dead person and hang him or her up on a pole as a, a sign that, hey, justice had been, has been served and a reminder to everyone else, you better keep the law. And so the Old Testament, Deuteronomy says, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. That person was a criminal. And that's why he or she was hanging up there. And we fast forward several thousand years and here, hanging on a tree is one who is not a criminal, but he is dying the death of a criminal. It's the death that you and I deserve because we have fallen short of the standard of God. He did it, but he took the curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Cursed for the cursed. Jesus Christ cursed for you and me. Cursed for the cursed. That is gospel redemption. He paid the price. He took our place. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Cursed for the cursed. The beauty of the gospel. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, faith in him then results in salvation for us. You see, all this talk about faith, if you were to back up and glance back up at verses 7 through 9, we see the word faith a bunch of times in those three verses. We don't see any mention of Jesus. It's not just faith that saves, just like faith in whatever. Like we can have faith in all kinds of things. I mean, everyone, everyone in this world in some way, shape, or form has some kind of faith in someone or something. I mean, even the atheist has faith. He has faith that there is no God. And he bases that on whatever he wants to base that on, but it's faith. Faith by itself doesn't save. Me just believing in something doesn't save me. There has to be someone that I can place my faith in who has done something powerful enough to rescue me from my sin, and that person is Jesus Christ. And he's the only one who has been cursed on our behalf. He's the only one who has paid a price that God Almighty, the one that our sin has offended, will accept as a just payment for our sin. And therefore, it's only through faith in Christ that we receive the blessing 
the promise of salvation. And that's where Paul ends in verse 14. I forgot to give you verse 3. We've already talked about it. Go ahead and put 3 and 4 up there. Jesus provided redemption by being cursed. That was self-explanatory, right? You probably could have figured that one out on your own. Verse uh, Number 4 in verse 14. Through faith in Jesus, we receive redemption from the curse. You see, Christ dies for our sin, but then his blood is not applied to our lives until we place our faith in him. See how Paul finishes this passage in verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. All right, don't go anywhere. All right, this is absolutely incredible. Two benefits, two benefits we see in this uh, verse 14, when we place our faith in Jesus. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Remember where we started. Under the law, we're under a curse. And what does this curse entail? It entails death. Death, the worst part of it being separation from God. Spiritual death, eternal separation from God. That is the worst news for you or me, to know that I am separated forever from God Almighty. The best thing for you and me would be to live in the presence of God. To be able to do that. But because of our sin, we're not able to. Here's, here's the beautiful part of this. Twofold, twofold benefit. The first so that is that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Go back up to verse 8 and 9. What is the blessing of Abraham? It is justification. So we get to share in the blessing of being justified before God when we place our faith and trust in Jesus. What does it mean to be justified before God? It means one day when I stand before him, I will be welcomed into his presence. Because instead of looking at me and seeing my sin, God will look at me and see the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus took my sin, gives me his righteousness. And so I will get to live in the presence of God forever. It's the opposite of death. That is life. That is eternal life. That is good news. And you and I gain that when we place our faith in Jesus. That's the first so that. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, that is justification for God, might come to the Gentiles. That is, I get to live in the presence of God. But notice the second so that. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith or the promise of the spirit through faith. First one, first blessing is justification before God. Second one is we receive the Holy Spirit. This is, this is awesome, y'all. I'm separated from God because of my sin. But through faith in Jesus, I get the blessing of forever living in the presence of God and then receiving the Spirit, which means right now God's presence is living in me. You cannot get more alive than that. To right now have God's presence alive in you through His Spirit and then have the hope of one day living forever in His presence for all of eternity. And you and I are supposed to be cursed. What a great God, what a great Savior we have. And it's a free gift. So my question for you is, are you living under a curse? Or are you living, having been redeemed from the curse, alive in Christ? Jesus has paid the price. 
if you're living under the curse, note the reality of that eternal separation from God. But you don't have to stay under the curse. And you don't have to act like the Boston Red Sox and take 80 years of trying really, 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 really hard to finally break the curse. It's not about trying really, 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 really hard. It's about receiving a free gift of salvation by placing your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel blessing is centered on the gospel redemption. The gospel blessing is centered on the gospel redemption. You want to receive the gospel blessing? Receive the Savior who has set you free from your sin through His death on the cross. So, simple question, y'all. We're born into this world cursed. And if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, then guess what? You are living under the curse of the law. And if you die, you will die under the curse of the law and be eternally separated from God. But today, you can place your faith in Jesus Christ and be set free. So what will it be? What will it be? I pray that none of us walk out of here living cursed that we walk out of here rejoicing that we have been set Heavenly Father we love you we worship you Father I pray for anyone in this room who is living under the curse of the law trying to be good enough trying to do more good things than bad things Father trying to keep a, keep a record and hope that one day you'll You'll let them into your presence because of some good things that they've done. But, Father, the reality is that is not how we have life. Father, the righteous shall live, have life by faith. Father, because we're not perfect. So, Father, I pray that we would admit our imperfections, that we would repent of sin, and we would trust Christ. Father, I thank you that you have set me free from the curse of the law. And Father, I know it is only by the shed blood of Jesus Christ who has paid the price, the redemption price, that I am saved, that I have life today. Father, I pray for that person who needs life in Christ. I pray that they would choose to follow Jesus, that you would convict them of their sin, and that you would draw them into our relationship with you, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. Father, for those of us who have trusted Christ, Father, remind us, remind us, it's not because of us, it's because of what you did. It is your doing that has saved us, not our doing. Help us respond to your word in obedience, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.